Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have the amazing and one and only Irma Ranieri on the show. Appointed as the Commissioner for Public Sector Employment in 2014, Irma is driven to create a world-leading public sector that delivers great results and outcomes for the South Australian community through an agile, flexible, and inclusive workplace. Irma's extensive career is focused on helping organizations optimize productivity and employee well-being and expand in roles across the private and public sectors. Irma has been described to me as a great leader who creates more great leaders, and her amazing qualities haven't gone unnoticed. In 2021, she was awarded the Public Service Medal and added to the honors list for a long-standing advocacy of gender equality, diversity and disability employment, as well as her commitment to the public sector reform. Previous to this, she's also won the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year Award, a feat not achieved by a person in government before. In this episode, Irma and I touch on her journey from being born in a small village on the outskirts of Greece and Macedonia, all the way to where she finds herself as the Commissioner for Public Sector Employment. We also deep dived into her journey where she describes that her parents didn't really allow her to study and wanted her to be a home carer, which is an old traditional and European way of thinking. Irma didn't want this for herself and she embarked on carving out a very successful career in the public sector where she met some amazing mentors that gave her the foundation to flourish. We talked about leadership a lot and a superpower of creating other great leaders. We went on to discuss her thoughts about how to engage people, teams and organizations through large scale change. And then we also talked on the impacts of COVID and all the learnings that come from that. And she mentioned that there was an impending announcement, which what we've known now is that it's the return to work of the public sector of 25% capacity, which is a great step forward towards the long path back to normality. I know you're absolutely going to love this chat with Irma. And if you'd like to learn more about some of the other amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at Creating Synergy Podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy Podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and today we have the amazing Irma Ranieri. Ranieri, Ranieri yes. on the show. So thank you very much for joining us. You're it's a the commissioner of, uh, of the public sector. It's in a very, very important role. For yes, the, I think so. <laughs> for the people of South Australia. So a little bit about you. Who, who, is, who is Irma? Tell us a little bit about your, your journey and, and how you got to where you are today. Um, uh, well, it's a, it's a long history for me in terms of um, South Australia and how my family migrated here. Um, I wasn't born here. My family come from a village uh, in the northern tip of Greece, um, yeah. they identify as Macedonian, yep. so uh, that in itself brought some challenges. Yeah. Um, I was very young when we came to Australia. Um, of course, South Australia was where they settled, mm-hmm. market gardeners in Fulham Gardens. Oh, yes. Yes. I've, my <laughs> family, the exact same. <laughs> Italian I, background, so yeah, there was a mix 100%. of Bulgarians, um, uh, English, 
that had actually uh, come along Italian. So we were very multicultural, know what it's like to kind of, um, uh, I guess, not be part of the streamlined um, group mm-hmm. um, in in a in a suburb the or whatever, but we were all, yeah, well, sort of. <laughs> so the reason why I mention that is that I, what I do remember a pivotal point was in market gardening. Um, they got a lot of help from government. I think it was the Department of Agriculture, and you know they were growing tomatoes. And uh, when there were issues with it at the time, they would have kind of um, officers that came from agriculture department yeah. to come and help them with their crops and things like that. And yeah. what I recall my parents saying is gee, this is different from where we came from because they were very poor Mm -hmm. in that village um, because there are people here that that are going to help us. So it actually stuck in my mind and I thought, you know, what is government? What does that actually mean? But never really gave it a second thought. Um, And then uh, being uh, the good migrant parents that they were, um, through my high school years, mum and while I studied and I particularly had a very strong interest in Australian history, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. um, they basically wanted me to go and work. Um, I did get into psychology, but they wouldn't allow me to actually go to university, which was actually quite disappointing for me. However, your road that you travel manages to get you somewhere. So I actually ended up, because a friend of mine was working in the Department of Motor Registration and she was filing registration cards. She said, come and work in the government. And I said, oh, government. I remember mum and dad thinking that they were pretty good. So I went to work as a school leaver through the school leaver program in the Department of of Transport, which was motor registration, filing registration cards. There you go. So um, what was really good is I had a great mentor um, and that was a registrar of motor vehicles. He he recognised that I was a complete extrovert. Yeah. And he (laughs) said, look, are you going to – and I was young. I was probably, I think, 19 or 17 or something like that. And he said, look, why don't you go and study? And I said, oh, well, I was trying to get into psychology because I wanted to be a psychologist. So there's something about human behaviour that Mm -hmm. interests me. Um, And uh, he said, no, go to the Institute of Technology and do business management. The rest is history. I did do that and I majored in personnel and industrial relations at the time and had a strong interest in human resources. So he, he quickly got me to work in the human resources part of motor registration and I worked my way up. Um, through the public service. But I remember looking at the Commissioner for Public Sector Employment role and saying to myself, I really want that role because that's where change can occur. But I'm sure you asked me some more questions about that. No, (laughs) absolutely. And and I just think to point out, isn't it amazing, I'm going to point out the gentleman who who told you to go back into study and the the shift in direction in your life that that, that happened at that point. I think that's just something we really need to... uh, all need to understand as our roles as leaders Mm. is that that's the Mm. impact that we can have on someone's life, right? It's not about just trying to get the outcomes and outputs. It's the the impacts that we can have on individuals. I I agree. It's it's funny. There's two pivotal points for me, and they're both males, Mm -hmm. which which I, you know, I need to point out. There was a person, there was a teacher at at high school that basically believed in me uh, because my parents got me to do a commercial course typing. I didn't want to be a secretary and that's what they had chosen for my path and that's what they knew. There was a teacher that believed in me to pick up modern European history and Australian history and then there was my mentor at work, another male, the registrar at the time, that actually believed in me. And I think my passion for what I do is young people in particular need people to believe in them and for them to believe in themselves to go where they need to go. There were two very pivotal points where yeah. I made some major decisions about the path that I would take. 
Yeah, it's mm. that's amazing. Yeah. Speaking of teachers in high school. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> your brother was my old teacher. Oh, uh, here. Yes. He, he was at St. Michael's College down at Henley Beach. I, I do remember um, getting told off a few times by uh, Bless. By, by Mr. Giorgio. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Franco, sit down, please, was, yes. the, was yes. the words that I heard quite often. Anyway, enough about me. So your profile uh, states that you're a leader, you're an advocate, you're driven by purpose and values, and we yep. can hear that already in, yes. in the language. So can you tell us a little bit about your purpose? Mm. Um, you talked about government and really wanting to connect and all that. But can you tell us about your purpose within uh, now and then the values that you, you mm. work to on an everyday basis? What I'm going to try and do is actually string the story together. Great. So the purpose never leaves you. So my purpose actually started the days that I was you know, a child of migrant parents mm-hmm. um, and actually saw the disadvantage that actually – um, they experienced, but more importantly, how people viewed me. Mm-hmm. Um, English was my second language. Um, and whilst I had some really good people along the way, my purpose was to make sure that those that don't have the kind of voice that they deserve, I saw privilege um, in particular ways, whether it was senior positions and how people got there. All I know is anything that I did, I had to work particularly hard for. Firstly, because my parents didn't actually um, support me in that because all they believed is Um, women raising children and being the kind of homemaker, Mm -hmm. which is there's nothing wrong with that. And I I ideally wanted that, but I wanted something else as well. So my purpose is actually embedded in, you know, those to everyone to have a choice to do what they believe that they should do. And we should actually make the working environment. So I had a very strong interest in, you know, the interplay between people and work. So work is important. It's our economic kind of it, what stimulates what you want in life and the rest of it. You need to have that, but you also need to reconcile that with other things like your community work, like your cultural group, like your friends, yeah. like your children, your partner. That all needs to be reconciled. So if you pull all of that together in my life experience, the role of the Commissioner for Public Sector Employment is creating employment conditions that actually reconcile all of that. Mm. So if you look at the first work and life project in government, I led that. If you look at the very first job share at executive level, I led that. Mm. Not because I'm particularly special, but what I did know is that I should have a right to actually be able to go for those things, Mm. not because I'd made a choice to have children or someone else made a choice for me. It was no, no longer open for me to have those opportunities. So I think if we feel passionate about something, we drive change for that. And the only way I could see driving change for that is if you were the most senior or in policy positions where you could make that change. So I worked very hard in where I worked and what little change that I could do. So the family and work stuff, um, created breastfeeding rooms yeah. in workplaces, did joint projects with UniSA in relation to the work that Barbara Pocock did around um, uh, work and life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Fast forward to 2022, um, all the things that we did around flexible work and the rest of it, we were doing all that, but no one was listening. Mm. We were doing that and we, who was listening was great leaders. Yeah. Um, and I know one of your colleagues worked with me back at UniSA. I was her manager. Mm-hmm. And I remember in those days talking about these sorts of things and I was particular. I was laughed at. People kind of go, when you, you know, you're, it's almost like you've got these hippie ideas about workplaces, we basically, people need to clock in, clock out, do their work, 
and do the outcomes. And now fast forward 2022, we were set up for flexible work arrangements. We knew what to do. How do you manage people from a distance? How do you engage with people? How do leaders actually lead with purpose? So um, it's a life journey that seems to have allowed me to kind of consolidate it in a role where I can influence the largest employer in South Australia. Yeah, that's an amazing story. The uh, There's so many things that were going through my head. And number one, are your, your parents must be very proud right now. You're funny you should say that. Um, it, it's kind of mixed. They are. They're extremely proud. Um, my father was particularly proud. I mean, he would I, I won the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. Mm-hmm. He had dementia. But I won it sort of the year before he completely kind of um, couldn't recognise who yeah. I was. So he was very proud, I think, as a father. What's interesting is that kind of... Um, that, so those sliding doors, Dad was also a very kind of very male-dominated women had a particular role, but he mm-hmm. was kind of comfortable with his daughter doing that but, mm-hmm. but actually had some different um, expectations of his wife. Yeah. Um, so I think the, that's the general, and I understand mm-hmm. those sort of uh, those generations and, and, and those men. Um, my mum is extremely proud um, but she, she gets worried about the load I take and, you know, you, how can you do both things? And I remember when the kids were younger, she helped me a lot. She did a lot of the childminding. My mum's fantastic mm-hmm. in helping me do that. But her her upbringing was it's uh, uh, looking after your children and the home and the rest of it first. Yeah. And But, you know, she's she's an absolute star because she actually helped me work while she looked after the children. She, she had a view about that, yep. but she allowed me to pursue some of that. So, yeah, well, I, I got the Public Service Medal this year and, um, and when I went to get my medal um, uh, with the Governor, it was my mother I took with me and Brilliant. the photo stands in her, in her lounge room now. She looks straight at it. <laughs> so she's proud. She's very proud. Yeah. And so she should be. Look, my family is the same, right? Mm. We... Um, me being the male, though, I didn't obviously get the the whip that the, the females uh, in in our family uh, have received. It has changed a lot, though. I think um, my my father actually broke the shackles. He never actually expected that ever of my of my mother, but her her father did, did. the same thing. Um, They'd be my generation, yeah, Daniel. Just ab- letting ab- you know, <laughs> absolutely right. So they, um, yeah, they they it, it was tough, and yeah. uh, and and. The, the female, if I do know anything, the females uh, were almost seen as rebellious in, in, that, yeah. in that sense that they were going out and, you know, whereas now we look at them uh, at more at being innovative and, uh, mm. and, and free-spirited mm. and whatever. I, I don't know, know, the, know the words for it, but everyone, you're right, everyone should have an equal opportunity. Mm. It's an amazing, amazing work that you're, yeah. uh, you're doing. I, I don't know if you have a sister, but I, um, do. Uh, I think it's what we as mothers of our, and I have a daughter, um, uh, have, have actually instilled in our children. So I think, I think we shouldn't give up hope mm. because I think if you look back at our generation and actually what occurred there, we have paved the way for more opportunities uh, for women in particular. But also, look, I, I think there's, we need to watch young men mm. as well um, because we ha- they have to find their place to get equality means that everyone needs to have opportunity mm. to be their best self. 
and gender or, you know, whether you're an Aboriginal person or whether you come from a different cultural background should not matter about any of that. We should not see any of that. Absolutely. So those biases need to need to kind of be broken through. We've still got a lot of work to do, but we have come a long way. So you mentioned the award that you yes. won, which was great. I want to touch on that. So, so a couple of things. One is the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year Award for, and I got the state award, yeah, which was um, absolutely wonderful. Um, I was doing a lot of innovative things um, within government at the time, and it's rare that someone in government actually wins the, because it's a businesswoman mm-hmm. award. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the last woman that won it was um, Sue Varden, um, who'd done some great work in the sort of social services area. One of the things that had happened is I was working pretty hard to try and do things differently in government. I wasn't commissioner, of course, mm-hmm. at the time. At the time I got it, I'd become commissioner, but I was doing a lot of that change at South Australia work, some work that I'd done at the UniSA and the rest of it. But I had a staff member, and this is really important. I had a, a staff member that was working with me that saw the amount of work that I was doing, but more importantly, he saw some of the really bad behaviour that was occurring in terms of my profile and what it is that I was doing because I was trying to do things differently. Mm-hmm. It can often be ugly when it comes to breaking up uh, barriers and things where I've sometimes I've rewarded certain people and to start to call those things out and do things differently can sometimes, you know, those that tread those paths um, can actually find themselves um, in some level of conflict because you're changing things. Yes. And I remember a staff member saying to me, it was the day before that the, uh, they were closing, um, I think you should go for the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. Being the person that I am, I said no. I, I come from a kind of, it's not shame, but it's like I, I don't need, you know, I don't put your head up too yeah. high. Yeah. He put in the application for me. He just got me to, to kind of press send basically or yeah, approve right. it. Um, and then the rest was history in relation to that. In ter- fast forward the Public Service Medal, it's the same sort of thing. We have a change. I'm a public servant yeah. at heart. Government's change and I'm doing a whole lot of work with the new government. Um, I do a lot around Aboriginal employment. We've hit the 50, I think it's 53% women in leadership roles. Brilliant. I started at 28% and the rest of it. Yeah, anyway, yeah. and I have my moments with this because it's a tough gig. And I watched my children, who are adults now, watch me kind of go through what they see as quite traumatic, you know, experience to make change. So both my son and daughter decided that they would actually write an application for a public service medal because that's the ultimate for me is that you're recognised at a national level for the change that you've actually made to people's lives. So what's interesting about the two awards is I didn't put in for any of them. There were people who actually felt strongly enough to go and actually do the work for that. And that, for me, is the bit that I'm the most gracious about. It's it's about other people feeling like you've made a a difference to their lives and you've changed things for the better somewhere. Yeah. Kudos. Well done. Mm. So the Institute of Public uh, Administration Australia, you were recognised on the honours list for the and, and the quote was, Irma consistently demonstrated the unwavering commitment to shaping the future of South Australia public sector ah. by driving sector-wide reform. Can you um, explain to us what that means? What does it mean that you, what, what reform were you driving and, and what were some of the big initiatives that you were targeting? Well, I guess the, if I can actually go back a bit. Mm-hmm. Before I started, I had some really strong views mm-hmm. um, about leadership development across government, 
I had some strong views about women in leadership, strong views about Aboriginal people and anyone from a disadvantaged background. I am a guardian to my two adult cousins who are severely intellectually disabled. Mm -hmm. So I've grown up watching disadvantage and watching the things that we need to do. So your purpose drives how your passion for actually getting that change. When I started, we didn't have a leadership academy. I had about 10 people in my office. Um, we were reporting on the public sector, basically numbers of people and the rest of it. Fast forward seven years, we have a leadership academy that's getting thousands of people through, you know, inspirational leadership, essentials on how you manage and lead people. We had a diversity and inclusion, gender equality strategy. We are now up to 53%. I started it. I think it was 28%. I didn't do it. What I have been is a beacon for what we should be doing. I'm a voice. I'm a voice for people. Um, I That's my area of expertise. I said in terms of my studies, I have, I've studied in the area of organisational change, industrial relations, but I love change and leadership. Mm -hmm. And everything that's in the office now with all those great people and the whole of the public sector was not what it was seven years ago. We had, didn't have any of that. Aboriginal employment was under 2%. We're about 2.29 now. It's not good enough. It needs to be more. But, gee, we have gone so far. We're increasing disability employment. It's not me. What we're saying is put a lens on it, employ people and advise governments, no matter who they are, to make sure that this is on the top of their agenda. Mm. Youth employment, the traineeship programs, over 2,000, 2,500 people through Skilling South Australia through the traineeship program. Uh, for us as an employer. I'm only talking about us. Yeah. The private sector is doing a whole lot as well. That gets driven. That that I'm driving that, but agencies are part of the solution there. So everything that we're doing at a whole of government level around workforce and around how we're progressive, working from home and COVID, mm. that was we were set up. We we had you know policies and stuff in place for people to work from home. But it's not just getting them home and get the equipment. It's how do you lead and manage and inspire people when you're not together? Yeah. Um, so COVID, I'm, I've been the mobilisation coordinator. So that's moving public servants around mm. to where they need it and health, safe hole or whatever. Massive effort, massive effort mm. across the board. And we've done that together. And I'm really proud of that because there's a legacy that's going to be left there that is this phenomenal. So I think starting with the, the young migrant that came here, um, I feel really proud that we've left it in a much better place than we found it. Yeah, and uh, and look, you know, great leaders set the vision, right, and and lead the way. And I think that's what that's what you're doing. And uh, on, I guess from on behalf of everyone who's working here in South Australia, thank you for <laughs> that's the, a pleasure for, for all the work <laughs> I enjoy that, it for you've been doing for yeah. the past seven years. Uh, well, we hope that you can carry on for another seven years. I'll we'll carry uh, on for a bit. We'll, we'll see, see how we see, go. See yeah. how the rest the rest yeah. looks. So you did mention that my colleagues and my business partner Michelle mm. did um, did work with you, and and she described she described you uh, as one of those very first leaders that she worked under who was instrumental in her career. Yeah. So you're probably that mentor that she mm. that you spoke of earlier to her, where where she you inspired her to be a leader and and obviously make and create change mm. within the world so she says thank you to you oh, for that as well it's but nice she, to hear <gasps> she she mentioned uh, to me that you have this superpower to create great leaders 
I actually said to her, there's no evidence with you there, Michelle, but, but she, she ah. called me a jerk. But anyway, <laughs> we'll leave that. We'll leave that at, Take at, it as a joke. <laughs> yeah. Take it as a joke. <laughs> no, she, that, your superpower to create great leaders. Yep. And, and I thought we thought about this and we thought, is it something that you do deliberately? Is that an approach mm. that came to you naturally or you deliberately seek to create more leaders? Um, it's an interesting point because uh, it's a great question because great leaders come from you within, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and, look, I, like everyone else, you can get caught up in the vortex of how important you are and, you know, positional power. When some people call you commissioner, you kind of go, oh, mm. you know, this is um, – and uh, I, I always ground myself in my beginnings yeah. and always ground myself in where my shortcomings are, my vulnerabilities. So I've done a, a lot of work around me, who I am, and I think for a time um, as I was getting higher in the ranks, I kind of lost a little bit of who am I and, and, and this will come to why I, I, you know, how I inspire leaders. Who am I as a person? Is my identity through this because sooner or later we will no longer have it. What we will have is us, you know. Yeah. It'll be Irma who came from, you know, uh, it, I often say to people, your eulogy is, yeah. is you know, they're not going to say, look, she did it for the public sector. They might, uh, but there'll be people that you touched along the way that will go, oh, she kind of gave me the right direction, like Michelle, um, to go and do this. So great leaders are those that connect with people at their particular level. Mm. Um, the other thing I've had to learn is I have to listen to where people are at and to the questions you might ask me, you know, I tend to jump a little to kind of try and save or give people the answer. Mm. I think as leaders you need to understand that the empathy is with listening to them Mm. and what's great is if you're not going through what they're going through, you can give them some fantastic advice that they may not be seeing. Um, And often it can be uh, trauma, whether it's domestic violence or, you know, wanting to get to that next promotional job or the ability to deal with kids at home and maybe challenges with children, some that might have learning difficulties or just just being a mum and trying to do the whole lot. So um, I I purposely go out and mentor anyone that might come and see me. It's harder because of my time and I've had to learn how to balance that. So in terms of the superpower it's within all of us, mm. but basically we want to, you actually have to want to listen to someone, you have to be gracious enough to give them the time um, and you actually have to stop thinking about whether they've ruined your day and now you've got an extra thing on your plate. And yes. I used to actually do that mm. and now I see things, um, you know, it's a lesson or a gift that's been given to me because uh, it was meant for me to give someone that. But the key here for any leader is you've got to balance. You've got to balance all the other d- uh, demands. So I'd actually say to leaders, I'm trying to do this. I was never good at it. Don't make too many appointments. Mm-hmm. Be there. Be present because if you are and you give them that inspiration, they'll do the work for you. You actually don't have to do it yourself. And quite frankly, you're not good at it. You've got some experts that would be better at it. Yeah. So that's the superpower is actually allowing people to to be their best self Um there are some people who struggle with that. It's also being a leader that says you're not okay and you can't behave in that way. You've got to call out the behaviour when you see it and I sometimes don't because, you know, I've come in a, from a background where conflict uh, was not allowed in particular for women so I've actually found the, you know, conflict around you cannot do that to someone else. I'll help you. I'll, help under, I'll understand why you're doing it 
But if you continue to do it, that is not acceptable. So mm. good leaders also actually manage situations where others are, are being disadvantaged by others' behaviours. So for me, it's behavioural, it's bringing your best self and getting the best self out of other people and let go of your ego when you're actually doing that. So, and you know what? I, I sleep. I may not make the right decisions, by the way. Not mm. everyone is happy with the outcome and sometimes it can be hard because you can't be their best friends. But I can say now, not that I'm a good sleeper, but... Um, <laughs> I can, go to, I can go to bed at night going, I did my best on that. Might not be the right, might not have been the right thing. I might not be liked for it, but I didn't. That was, that was the best I knew with what I had and mm. I can sleep fine. But I never do any harm to anyone, never intentionally go out to harm anyone. I think they're the superpowers we all need. I absolutely agree and, and echo everything that you say. One thing that is coming to my mind is, and you mentioned it where it's like, you, you have to not be too concerned with the agenda or the outcomes that you're trying to deliver and, and give yourself to to those in your team and, and, and then find the balance. I think that's where the struggle is, is that um, the balance is, is what is most pressing. Uh, yeah. Is it these deadlines or is it? Yep. Um, is it this uh, yeah. conversation what, that I, I need to have? And, what I found, I I've often would say it's a conversation you need to have mm. because um, what I've found is your best creativity and the best work comes from when you haven't planned it in your head. Mm. So, you know, and, and look, I've, I've done it. You know, like I'll, I'll meet with that person, I'll get them to do that and then we'll have this particular outcome. What you're not giving any time for is the creativity mm. that might come with the left field things or ideas. Yeah. So if you are stuck in what you think might be the outcome, you're actually only relying on on your head and what you what experience you have. And this is where the unconscious bias comes in. Because if we're so busy, I think the front and back back part of your brain, you'll just actually go to whatever's in the filing cabinet in your brain to go, I did that before and let's do it now. Yeah. This worked last not, time. Yeah, you, yeah. You're never going to let in, I think, what might be um, a new way of doing things. No, you're 100% right. So the other information, and I went a bit of, did a bit of information gathering about As you, you should do. <laughs> <laughs> um, was that you have this innate ability to engage organisations when going through large-scale change or any yes. change. Um, so being big change advocates here at yes. Synergy IQ, we, we work with many, many businesses mm. in help through change programs. Um, can you tell us about your approach and, and especially the word engage is the one that I'm interested in yep. because, the, I mean, you, we all know that you can't create change unless you've got some sort of buy-in and I think that's the most important yep. piece here. So that, what, what is your approach in, in trying to get people on board for what might be the unpopular decision but still we need to push ahead because it is the right thing for the community or the right thing for, the, for, for South Australia or whatever it might be? I think there's a couple of things in that. I think some of the key is in what I said before. Um, about engaging with uh, people at a, a at a very sort of innate um, a relationship level. Yeah. And now you can't do that with everyone. So if you're doing a large-scale change at departments, you know, 10,000 people, it's going to be hard to engage with everyone individually. Really? There's a couple of key points, and you'd know this from a, a change agent perspective. You have to be very genuine in uh, uh, saying why you're doing it. Mm. You know, you've got to tell people why. And if you're bringing it from your front brain because it's just, oh, I was that was my last organisation, that's how I did it over there, it worked, um, I think that that's very, that's lazy. I actually think you need to think about when you're making change to something 
and lots of things need to change, by the way. So I'm, I'm, I'm a change agent. I think that's, that's the only way we're going to get to a new future. But you're going to have to explain and don't try to do this on your own. Why are you doing it? Like what is the ultimate outcome? And then my advice is, you know, oh, and I, I hear a lot of leaders say, well, you know, what does consultation look like for you? You know, and when we finish consulting, what does that look like? We never finish consulting on this stuff. And my view is you've got to tell people the why and, and not to go, well, I'm doing this, people, and by the way, my end product is here and you won't have a job, okay? So I think that might be the outcome. But what you do is you take people on a journey. Now, you might not do it face-to-face, but you're going to explain to them why. And then you're going to say, actually, I want your views on this and what's making you uptight or um, upset about perhaps this change. Um, If it's about me losing my job, you can dispel that myth straight away. Or you can say, look, potentially that's the case, but you can help me design what might be the future. So my view is be very genuine about why you're doing it. Be very genuine that you haven't come to the final conclusion before you've even started because that's disingenuous. You're not really involving. Change is about all of us changing. All you're doing is restructuring and all you're doing is saying, I'm restructuring because I think it's this way and what you haven't let in is what I said before and that is maybe one of your people or a group of your people actually have an idea that's better than yours. And, in fact, what you were thinking about where you'd go, they might actually take you somewhere just slightly further and you may not have even thought about it. So my view is I don't think we do change uh, fast enough, um, uh, basically do it more often Mm. so people are used to it and give people the tools, which is what companies like yours do, to actually deal with themselves about how they react to change. So often it's a fear of something and a fear of something being taken away. If we dispel that fear, then I think you're on the path of actually doing what needs to be done. Don't even call it change. Just say let's talk about actually right now. Improvement. Well, with with COVID, I mean, we hear about the great resignation. We're hearing about, you know, we need to reimagine things and the rest of it. I don't even know what that looks like, but Mm. what's exciting is everyone's feeling it. What a great platform for a future that actually is designed by people that are thinking and feeling differently. Yeah. I think it's perfect opportunity. Absolutely. Let's not be concerned with the change. No. Let's design it so it can improve yep. the quality of life that we're all living. Or well, we want it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's an interesting point because we had, we've had we had Nick Reid, who is the CEO yep. of the Department of Premier Cabinet, um, uh, head of uh, public sector, he um, he mentioned that he's really pushing forward strongly with the digital transformation piece and he there's is. a whole bunch of yeah. change going on in that, which is a really interesting piece of work. But that has the potential to do exactly what you just said and and when you start bringing in new new digital uh, software and mm. and people, uh, the, the, the expectation of uh, labour services becomes less because mm. the, the product itself becomes more mm. productive. Uh, can you talk to us about those conversations that the, the government are having with their people at the moment that we can have across all sectors? It doesn't just need to be mm. to be government. Oh, look, it's, it's really exciting and I think that um, Nick probably explained that we're looking at things in sort of um, in different kind of categories. So there's one um, around um, easy to do business with. Yeah. And for me, and I think Nick, come, with the background he has, it's really exciting to be able to kind of get someone who understands a customer journey mm-hmm. as he did um, in the role he had at the bank um, and actually say, 
um, you know, we can we can do this and we can do this collectively. So I'm really excited about that because it's it's as you said, it, it helps people kind of add value in another area, but it actually makes us look much better for the for our customers who are the most vulnerable in South Australia, basically. Yeah. So they get a better experience with government. So we can go on and do the things that we need to do. And you know, people people talk about the public sector and how you know, you know, hundred over a hundred thousand people and the rest of it. Seventy six thousand of them are frontline workers. Mm. You know, we're not talking about a big number of people that haven't actually been to the throttle this last two years. Um, and my concern is we have a workforce that's working extremely hard, moving with this moving feast of COVID, bushfires, you name it. So uh, I'm very proud of what the public service has done, and I think the digital transformation offers us something that rewards us to do things more efficiently mm. so we can go on and do the things that the community is expecting us to do to make South Australia a better place. So the work that Nick's doing, it requires a lot of um, investment. Yeah. And uh, I think the great thing is when you have someone like Nick with the experience, you pull together that investment at a whole of government level and pick the things that you can do. It's a low-hanging fruit and we're doing that. Yeah. Um, and I think you'll see a lot more things that we talk about in terms of doing collectively as we go forward in the next few years. So it's really exciting for me because it almost brings, I've had a lot of ideas, but we have, you know, you need an investment, mm. you need more people. And I think with, you know, you need that time because the purpose work that Nick's been doing was really from the beginning when we started to engage with the public service <clears throat> about what can we re reimagine it to be like post COVID or whatever the future yeah. kind of looks like. And we all agreed that, you know, defining who we are was really important. It's where we started with this. Nick believed in that and, of course, making a difference so South Australia thrives is where we landed. Yeah. Um, so we, we're on a really fantastic journey around that. You are and we're all watching from the sidelines hoping that it uh, works. We'll put our hand up to help if you ever need. Uh, the... The, the piece that's really interesting for me is, the, and I don't want to get into a political discussion here, but the, with the up-and-coming election, does that uh, thwart your attempts into trying to improve? or, or does it, Yeah, does I've got a sage piece of advice for any public servant when yeah. it comes to elections. Um, I've been through several. Um, mm -hmm. I've yeah. been around for a long time. Um, but one thing that I have discovered about myself and a lot of public servants have is that I'm actually a public administrator mm -hmm at heart you know I talked about why I'm doing what I'm doing politicians go in to influence um, policy yep. that's their job I'm really clear about what the role of politics is and how I serve any government of the day most public servants are as well mm -hmm. so apart from I guess knowing things like caretaker and preparing for you know um, a new government or the current government it's no different for me um, I would want to be saying to any government that this is what we started. My strong advice is that we continue doing this for all, all, all these reasons. Yep. Um, take my advice as commissioner in relation to this. But the bottom line is for any public servant, for any public administrator, is that we basically align ourselves to the government of the day. Mm. So if I go, look, I think the transformation should be around here, but there are ideas from either side of government that we should be doing something different. My job as a public administrator is to give advice but to also do what, what governments are elected to do by mm. their constituents. And that's the bit about Australian history because I completely loved reading about politics and the rest of it and I must be here for a reason. But I discovered that I was, I was a public administrator, that the politics 
I'm very good at actually reading, I think, what my ministers or a premier might want, but my job is to make sure I serve those people. That That's it for me. There is there is no politics Absolutely. in any of it. The job of a leader, right? Yeah. <laughs> so over your, well, we're talking about leadership. Over your career, you would have seen some really great examples mm-hmm. of leadership. You would have seen some not so great. And you would have seen some really extremely difficult situations that would have come across your desk. Yeah, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritties of the difficult conversation, but I'm really interested in how you manage leaders who know leadership but aren't doing leadership. Okay. Um, there's a couple of levels. One is I have a, um, I have a statutory role, mm-hmm. so complaints come to me, um, yep. and if there's serious um, issues, then I... I you know, I could be asked to investigate mm-hmm. or I could, you know, potentially investigate myself. Mm-hmm. So I've done a lot of those. Yep. Um, uh, it isn't for me, it, you know, I think the thing I'd say about all of that is, you know, I've experienced some really great leaders, as I've described, but I've experienced some pretty ordinary leaders. Yeah. Um, and Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. And, look, <laughs> I think the the hard – so in my role there's, there's the statutory bit where I would investigate – um, and you'd actually have to see both sides. Everyone needs a fair go. Um, it's perp- the person that's complaining about, you know, perhaps a bullying complaint or whatever, and the person that was doing the bullying um, or perpetrator or whatever. So there are two sides to a story. Do I get emotional about what I see? Yes, um, I, I do. But I guess in my role I have to be quite considered in relation to the rights of each of the individuals. What I believe in the process of dealing with really fantastic behaviour and really poor behaviour is that is what I said earlier. If you walk past poor behaviour, so whoever the leader is of the where the poor behaviour is occurring, and I will intervene if I, I if I hear this, if you walk past it and allow it to occur, you are no better than that perpetrator. Yeah. And I think that's that's the bit that the leadership programs need to kind of identify. The voices and the articulation of the values and behaviours. So unless you, I guess, define what good looks like, um, people will just accept anything um, or accept, you know, the the and it's grey, it's grey area. You walk past, someone might say something, you know, it might just be subtle. Um, I, you know, after so many years, um, my job is to make sure you empower the individual that's copying it or feels like they're being discriminated against to raise their voice. Yeah. And if they can't, you need to have people that they can go to. So we have peer support programs, wellbeing programs. So everything I've done in my time as commissioner is to provide those um, that scaffolding to allow people to go find how they can get some help. Yeah. But we shouldn't have those leaders in the first place. But I'm a realist and the world is made up of lots of different people and I get really disappointed on any day about the behaviour of, of people and it's not about gender or... No. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're all in the same boat. The, the famous quote from the general, I forget his surname, but the standard you walk past is the standard, standard you, you accept. accept. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly right. Mm. So however you want to articulate those behaviours, a, a leader, any leader, and every individual's a leader, you do not walk past that behaviour. What if it's a CE that's having... Uh, showcasing that behaviour and you're, you as a senior manager or a general, general manager? It's really hard. Mm. Um, I think that what happens is you go find someone that you feel safe to talk to mm. and maybe peer support and the rest of it. I think I think if it happens a lot with a CE, it'll find its way to the right 
process, mm. but it may take too long and could affect a lot of people. But it's really difficult. Uh, but I don't think CE should be immune to people saying you can't actually talk to me like that or whatever, but it is much harder. Yeah. I guess um, my role is there for some of that um, and, of course, peers um, and people within your organisation, like your manager, um, if you've experienced it, could do it. Uh, but it's a difficult one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, especially behaviours. I mean, they're not tangible. No. Uh, you may be the only one that's experiencing, but there are some no-go zones. Uh, sexual harassment, you know, uh, uh, verbal abuse or, you know, I'm not saying that there are some acceptable, nothing's acceptable, but there are some clear-cut things that we just will not tolerate. Yeah. We just will not tolerate. And people should put in a complaint if they have experienced that extreme behaviour and they should um, have that investigated or looked at. You should never be treated like that. Absolutely. Does your role have a part in the in, in the recruitment of the CEs and do you discuss with the board of each department? Um, I Yes, my role has had um, – Nick uh, has that at the moment mm-hmm. as head of the sector, yeah. uh, but I'm generally on each panel, have been for nearly all of them. Yeah, yeah. You're tasked with this monumental <laughs> project, I guess, of creating a high-performing culture for the government. Yes. 100-odd uh, thousand people, 30-plus departments. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you remove silos? How do you create... The, the the feeling of one or togetherness, you know. Well, it's part it's partly the work that Nick's doing and the council. We call we have a chief executive council. Yeah. We talk about this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes take my cues in terms of what they they're very supportive on yeah. the leadership programs that we have. Um, we have development for chief executives. I have a development discussion with most chief executives around some of that. Mm-hmm. And I work for a say survey that touches on the culture. I report on all of that, and and Nick has now agreed for us to be doing that every year with pulse surveys in between. So our journey is basically to measure, to ask, and then actually when we ask we have to deliver and I'm about to issue the action plan from the last survey and there's some areas that I need to focus on at a whole of government level so we can be transparent about selection processes and other things. So we're really serious about asking people so we get a, a, a sort of a gauge of the temperature of the uh, culture and then what is the actions at a whole of government level. And we've now been doing that for the last, uh, this is my um, second survey and I started in 2018 and we will now do it annually. So I'm really excited. There weren't any before that, yeah, believe it or not. Right. Agencies were doing their own, but yeah. at a whole of sector level, that is something I'm really proud that we're doing. And that's how the peer support and wellbeing programs actually started uh, because people had identified their sort of psychological safety, um, they needed sort of support officers. That We've got thousands of them now yeah. in agency. So we've really got our finger on the pulse when it comes to some of that. I'm not saying we've solved it, yeah. but we have mechanisms by which people can actually raise their issues. That's brilliant. So mm. you know you got, you've now got this reporting mechanism where you, you talk about culture each year and, and, mm. and you, it brings it, be on the agenda at every meeting, I, I dare say. It is. Is that the expectation of the CEs of each yes. department, that the culture it, is front and centre of their mind? Well, well, yeah, they, they get their report. Not yeah. only that, we give the report to ministers yeah. as well which and the Premier. And so in their uh, performance discussions and their development discussions, they have um, what you know, basically their departmental 
heat map mm-hmm. or, and we talk about it. Uh, that is front and centre. What's your response when um, the CE or, or, or the, the C-suite, you could say, look at culture as a fluffy uh, object as opposed I, I, to... I actually, hand on heart, none of them see it as a fluffy That's object. Right. I think I think we're all different, mm-hmm. um, but they take culture and how and their surveys very seriously. Um, so I think that I'm not saying we're all different in how we approach it, but I wouldn't say that there is not one CE during my time as commissioner mm-hmm. that didn't actually take the culture of its place seriously. Um, sometimes it's much harder to build culture in some some organisations and others because of the sort of services that they deliver and, yeah. and legacy issues and also what they have inherited and what they've done. But all of those leaders, all those chief executives are all keen to make sure that they move their culture um, forward when it comes to the survey and other things. It helps that you're measuring it and you've got it in oh, front yeah. of them. So um, so I think it's it's a wonderful kind of synergy um, right. between, um, you know, what they're doing in their sort of their departments and then how their departments are responding to to kind of the way they're delivering that. So. No, I, I think it's. I think that bit's working quite well. Lots more to do, but we're building on Great. that. Great. Well, you know who to call if you need any help. Um. Absolutely. <laughs> I did say the word synergy in there. <laughs> so we talked previously about your your um, your passion for people and connection. Yeah. Are, are you struggling with the current situation that we find ourselves in with yep. the Omicron and everyone working yep. from home and? Absolutely, I am. I mean, you know, I think that let's just, let's be clear, I'm an extrovert Mm. Um, and uh, I think that leaders, I think there's, I've heard a lot about leaders, you know, bad leaders that want people to see their people and see that they're in their offices. That's not the case at all. Mm. I just want to see people because I want to see that they're okay. I want to see people because I want to interact with them and other people want to do that. I have staff members who live in studio apartments by themselves with no family here. And they're at home. Mm. And uh, I'm keeping them safe, I guess, with COVID and the rest of it. But I've actually, we're masking up. I've got them in the office because catching COVID is serious business. But the the mental health strain, and that's the bit that I've actually been a bit, you know, we've got to balance the two. And one is how can we be safe, but how can we make sure that we allow people the social interaction. Why do we have workplaces in the first place? Mm. And I, I think the hybrid, I've been banging on about the hybrid for a long time yeah. because of my, you know, raising children and things like that. But but to not see people, I do a lot of virtual meetings with all my staff, yeah. but it's not the same. No. I don't know if someone is feeling strained and managers will tell me and at the moment what we've got is this, you know, uh, group A and B coming in and out of the office yep. um, so we can, you know, connect. And the person that does live on their own is in the office and really excited about the fact that they can come in and have a routine mm. that might stop them from feeling a bit anxious. I'm worried about the anxiety that we're all feeling. You asked me if I personally felt anything. What I did feel like is I needed to kind of, you know, you know I'll come to this uh, to save the world, so what could I do to actually help? At the same time, my uncle, who has the intellectually disabled children, um, they've got dementia, really bad. I had to find a home for him in the first lockdown in 20, I think it was 2020. Was it last year or the year? No, it was 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, 
found a home. So how do you do that? No one's working. You can't go into a hospital. Um, him and his wife have, have been separated for 50 years or 60 years or whatever. Um, he then goes to a home and she doesn't see him for the next eight months and she's caring for two severely intellectually disabled children and I'm trying to get support. He dies last year, have to organise a funeral with no people at the funeral um, and then ho- hoping that in 2020 we kind of, uh, 2021 we go up and down and the rest of it, you know, public service coming in and out and mobilising, hoping that we're near the end of it and here we are, 2022. So um, I feel okay. There are times that I feel more anxious um, and there are times that I feel like I can't go anywhere because I just want everyone to be safe. I've got an 85-year-old mother. I'm a big believer in the vaccination um, So and so to my mother. One thing that she did say to me is, as migrants, Irma, when we came here, you were poked and prodded with right. vaccinations and I've got lots of marks yeah, on my body. My, yeah, my mum's got that thing. Yeah, yeah. so do I. Yeah. Um, and so I have a, a generation, my mother basically said, when can I get it? Let's go. Mm. So we've made a, a, a habit of going to get our our vaccinations together and we'll boost it up at the end of December as well. Um, so uh, I, I think I have this uh, a balance between we've got to do the right thing and this is, you know, we're in a serious situation and I feel really sad for anyone that's lost loved ones and tried to have funerals and stuff. I know exactly what that feels like. But what's really great about South Australia in particular is we, we do this so well. We do everything yeah. that we're told um, and we're going to get through it, there's no doubt. Absolutely. But one thing we have to recognise is that we're all tired and we're all quite anxious. So anyone that has a predisposition to being anxious and I think I'm kind of one of those people yeah. but when I get anxious I kind of go more heightened to do things mm. at some point that physical energy has oh. to go somewhere so a lot of lot of self-developments required so the next phase has to be about how we deal with people's well-being um, and to manage the pandemic as well but it has to be balanced equally and you know I I, I just think that's so important oh, I think there's going to be there's going to be a lot of cases of PTSD that's going to come out of this. I, even for me right now, um, and I echo the thoughts of being vaccinated. I've tri- I'm triple vaxxed. I had my kids who are under 11 years old uh, that had their first jab yesterday. Um, they were a little bit scared, but it was all done. They're all good. Everyone's healthy and happy. Well done. But, thank you. <laughs> um, but the the when I see... Spurrier, Marshall and Stevens come on the TV together, (laughs) there is this sickening feeling in my stomach straight away. And I think like everyone is suffering from this same sort of, um, well, post-traumatic stress I think is is the only way I can explain it. But we are are, and I I also was the same as you at the end of last year. I'm the same, a little bit extroverted. Go into this heightened mode, mm. get shit done. Mm. Let's just figure out what, mm. what we need to do. Mm. But then you just hit a wall, mm. and I hit a wall at the end of last year, and I'm sure yeah. there was a lot of leaders that did as well. What I'm interested in is what do we do as leaders who are trying to manage our own health and well-being, but then also manage those that are we are in service of, like and and. It's a it's a really difficult yeah. one because we we have this well I know I have this uh, thing where I, I can take other people's luggage home with me right and I and I wear it I do too yeah yeah look 
It's a couple of things I'd say about that is that um, the years of self-development that I did and, you know, self-reflection, where my parents came from, <clears throat> it's no different to the hardships that we suffer. And I think for a, a whole generation, including my children, not that I've suffered so much, but I, I saw hardship. Yeah. And my mother, well, she just, you know, 85 and she just thinks it's a hoot mm. because, you know, they had nothing. They went through war. Yeah. So for her... So we all experienced it differently and I found the strength in some of the older people I was dealing with because they'd been through it. Like she couldn't understand the toilet paper saga uh, because, you know, they didn't have toilet paper back in the village. Yeah. She said, I've got some ideas, leaves yeah. and other things, you know. Yeah. And I, I remember at that point we going, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, every, every generation has a story to tell. Your generation's going to have a story to tell and you will become more resilient from it, and I think that's the bit. So I thought of the hardest times for me, and it was probably when I was growing up and how poor the family was. Well, this is better than that. Yeah, I've got a house. I'm safe. I live in the best place in the world, and we have been kept really safe. I have to say, you know, from a public sector perspective, so proud of how we've actually dealt with it. People are tired, but we just keep coming back and keep doing it, and so proud of South Australians because we're compliant. So. It doesn't matter who's going out there giving us the announcement. Someone had to do it. Mm. Um, we've just happened to have it during this period of time and I'm really pleased that we've got to where we did. Um, I, mean, I have no views about whether, you know, what we should have been doing now, but sooner or later when you look at the world, yeah. um, this is not stopping. So yeah. that's the bit I think that we're not used to, that it's going on. It's going on for a long time. We're used to having maybe a bushfire or something and it stops. So I think there will be resilience in in spadefuls mm. for, for lots of us. Um, some of us actually built that resilience through our careers, through getting knockbacks and the rest of it. So um, I'm fine with that. It's what other people are wanting from me, mm. basically. So I've gone back to what I did when I became resilient or the advice that people gave me, my self-help around making sure I don't get burnt out, mm-hmm. mindfulness, um, I did a lot around that and I've forgotten it. But now it's it's like, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, just think about that. Mm. When you're actually cooking a meal or if you enjoy that, just make more of it. I've enjoyed, I mean, I was never really much of a gardener. My parents were market gardeners. I've got, I've got an interest in growing fruit and vegetables and stuff and I think I just want to see something grow. So it's the little things mm. that are now going to make a difference. It's you spending time with your kids and you've had the gift of maybe doing more of that than you would ever have done if we were back in the old frame. Mm. And the question I have, I guess, of society and of myself is how are we going to continue the way we were going? Mm. Something was going to happen. Mm. And in the past, my mother talks of war, she talks of conflict, she talks of civil war and unrest where she lived. Something happens when we as humans do what we do and consume what we do. So this is the something that's happened. Yeah. And... I think this is where we will grow as a generation. I, I really do. Oh, Your a, kids it, will be very resilient. Well, They'll, it's, yeah. a, it's an absolute silver lining that we're all going to come through this stronger, um, yeah. more knowledgeable. But, you know, if you're talking about coronaviruses as a whole. Oh, please, let's not mention the name well, again. Let's not mention it. But, <laughs> I mean, there is no other virus in the world that's been studied more than what the coronavirus. No. Like, so we're, like, from a knowledge point of view, we shouldn't see this happen again. Uh, we should have better defence in future um, from a pandemic and all the above. So there's all this silver lining. 
my question still comes back to as leaders though, where is our place coming? What, what is our position who, where people in our team are suffering mentally uh, um, and we are as well? Uh, uh, so the, the, uh, yeah, well, um, I, I'll go back to my point. Yeah. If you do your mindfulness, yeah. if you actually give time for yourself, like mm. me gardening, yeah. if I do my cooking, I found and, the, and then I've got energy to give to people. Mm. So what I would normally have done in the past is I would go out to about three events during the week. Yeah. Um, I would do three breakfasts in the morning mm-hmm. and then I'd do my seven hours of meetings and the rest of it. I don't do that. I rarely have a breakfast and if it is, it's with my children or yeah. my adult children. Yeah. Um, I rarely go out in the evening um, and not that I didn't enjoy it but I would only do one and now I can't do any. I'm actually building my energy. Yeah. I'm actually better relaxed yeah, and I'm spending that time and as leaders you then have the energy to spend with your people. So it's given you a balance in life, I would say that you never had before, will we ever give it up? And I don't think I will. No. Um, and I think we should maintain that as leaders. Yeah, the conscious decision to work on yeah. yourself is, yeah. is absolutely paramount. Going back to the point where 100,000 workers are no longer in the city, right? We, we all... They're not all in the city. <laughs> Just <laughs> Sorry, you're right. <laughs> correct. You are yeah. right. The yeah. majority are... Is that correct? Is there a percentage? Do you know? Is- Look, I'll, I'll, let me let me just talk through. Did you want me to? Well, what I was going to say is that we all know that a thriving city yep. is is something that is great yep. for for a state and, and a community. And and when, mm. as public service, we're sending our staff home, well, we, the public yep. sector is sending this their staff yep. home. Um, is it is there is there a responsibility within the government to? help the businesses that are within the city yeah. walls? Look, I'll give you I'll give you my 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 context mm-hmm. firstly. I don't it's not just government that sent them home. The big Correct. four have sent them home. The banks have sent people home. Agreed. And it is the health advice. Yeah. Um and I, I think just to look at success, have we contained this 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 strain by just doing that in in the time that it was holiday time. Yeah. Now um so there there's one point. In terms of the hundred hundred thousand public servants as I said before, 76,000 are frontline. Mm-hmm. So all the doctors and nurses are still in the hospitals. Yeah. All the police are still working to protect us or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the, at the testing stations for health um, so, and the vaccination and the rest of it. So 76,000 of I those workers. It's so, so many yeah, no, it's 76,000 are you know, approximately mm. are out there working. Yeah, well, They're not necessarily in the city though. Yeah. So what you're actually asking me about is really, you know, those those agencies like my own, yeah. um, like Treasury and Finance, like, you know, Transport Department, all the back office workers that support all yeah. of those frontline workers, yeah. we probably, I think at a guess, probably make up around 11,000, 15,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the city, you know, so I'm here in the office every day. That's because, you know, extroverts need to get out. And, yeah. Um, and I, I hear what you're saying about the businesses. I'm very close after all these years of working in the city. I le- know nearly every owner of those yeah. restaurants. I've been a consumer. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's a balance. Uh, so my role is to kind of um, give advice. I think I'm not on any of the committees, but give advice on, I guess, you know, pe- what's the office space and the rest of it. If we can actually distance, you know, follow all the right health 
because we don't want to create any more kind of peaks of this. Yeah. But if we can create the right health conditions, then we should be bringing back a proportion of the workforce. I think an announcement's I- imminent on that. Okay. Um, and, Is that uh, a scoop? Well, no, it might be. Um, but we will, and you know, my strong view is you've got to do both. You've got, to, you've got to do both. And uh, just for the record and for some humour, I have stimulated the economy as best as I can personally. <laughs> I have bought about 10 pot plants <laughs> from the local thing. I have yeah. going to nearly every coffee shop. I'm the same. I've done my bit. I'm the same. Um, and actually, since coming back in the city this year, I have not bought lunch at the same place twice. No, I've gone to a different Me neither really, and yeah. I'm overkilling my coffee <laughs> and I've just booked to go to uh, to George's on Weymouth on okay. the Saturday night just to make sure – uh, to see George and just to make sure that uh, so I think all there are a lot of us that are doing that yeah. and uh, the the public service to 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 give it its dues back when we had the lockdowns we got them back we got yeah. them back and then we saw the people coming in um, I think private sector needs to do the same yeah, yeah. it is scary out there when when I say scary I mean yeah. it's dead I there know. is no one out there <laughs> I, I know it, yeah. and it, I think what what's happened this time it's mixed in with Christmas mm. and New Year mm. and I think what's happened is there were people that were going to be on leave usually up until about the 11th of January yeah most places coffee shops take their leave yeah it's what happened before and what's happened after I think it's that top and tail where there's a lot of business and then they're all coming back. I think I think that yet again the public sector will actually come to the fore in the next few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So what does 2022 look like for the public sector and the workforce? So we're, I've seen the statistics lately that unemployment rates are down to the lowest they've been since 1978. You know, the, yep. the Liberal government are pushing that yep. <laughs> through and through. But there is... Um, there is still a sh- labour shortage, right? I know we're, we're, there. Well, we're there having... is in particular areas as well. Absolutely. Um, and what what are your thought processes on what does twenty twenty two look like? When will some of the when will the borders open from an international point of view, so we can get some extra talent in, especially for the private sector, but government sector? Because I think what I'm seeing and and from what I'm hearing is that there is such a shortage that government lose some of their best because they're getting poached um, and the government also notoriously and historically can't pay the wages of the private sector. No. So, so Look, you're absolutely right and I'm sure Nick would have talked about it. Look, I don't know. Um, I think we've always relied on international workers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, once the world has gone through what we're going through that we will come to a place where it might plateau, I don't know, then I think that that would be great to see. But if I look more internally to South Australia, it is low unemployment, but my my sense is that youth unemployment is still high. Mm-hmm. Um, and my passion, so you're asking what's 2022 for me, is we have to have a focus on youth employment and skilling up our young people as the largest employer, giving them experience, and then they can move on. I think we've got to become a great alumni yeah. uh, because the thing about the public sector, so talent management for me becomes a critical issue. Um, it, it isn't the great resignation as such, is people are going to choose employers. If we talk about how we felt, I'm not going to choose an employer just for the money. Yeah. We know that doesn't drive people. I'm going to choose someone I really like working for. I'm going to choose someone that absolutely aligns with my purpose and I'm going to choose someone that treats me with respect. I'm also going to choose someone that's going to allow me the flexibility to reconcile my work and life. I'd like to think that the public sector 
has all of that. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, we will lose those people. So the focus on leadership development, the focus on innovation, the focus on the digital transformation, why wouldn't you want to come and work for an employer that gives you purpose, Mm. that gives you the drive and that you can make a difference to every South Australian, to those that are um, basically going from child protection to people with disability to sick people um, and how we might do health and other things differently. Mm. That touched me like over 40 years ago and why wouldn't it touch a young person to be able to make a difference? So I think we can offer something that no one else in the private sector can offer and that is that you can change someone's life by being a social worker or by being something else because that's the role of government. It doesn't make a profit as such, but what it does do is help to improve someone's life. Well, especially if you're a a proud proud South Australian, right? Yeah, I I am too. I'm a previous government worker back in my day. Well, sorry, I was... was SA Waters government. Well, owned owned by government, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, look, and for me the drive was from working at at a a company like or organisation like SA Water was... This is critical infrastructure. This is something that, you know, it is. is a, it's more than a utility. It's a health resource because at any one point that water could be infiltrated or the, the sewerage system stops disease, all this sort of stuff. So I always looked at it as keep, keeping South Australians yeah. safe. Um, and I think that is really a, a critical component on, on, on what is. you're saying. Employee, employee value proposition is it's, yeah, and it's, we, it's essential. Yeah, we have an amazing one. We really do. Yeah, absolutely. And there's yeah. a tipping point from pay. You're right. At a certain point, if you've got, if you're getting paid enough that you can live with all your basic amenities, then um, it, then it starts falling onto the I, I think I, proposition. Well, I think money. I think the driver for money has never been number one. Mm. It's only when everything else is missing that it becomes number Correct. one. Correct. Yeah. Um, however, I, I really believe that our experience through the pandemic has actually changed that. Now, I've done much research. I'm, I'm sure there's people out there. But we will see a shift. Yeah. That's not going to drive people. Well, firstly, we can't use the money to go overseas yet. Um, so it's other things. There are intrins- intrinsic drivers that are, that, are, um, that are getting people to do certain things and also to leave. Um, and you'll, you, I've seen a couple of my friends going, well, I've decided because, you know, they could. Um, they got enough money that I'm not going to work the way I was working before. And that's where that stuff around your balance and making sure you're looking after yourself means you can do both. Otherwise, if you're not, you'll decide to leave. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I want to just jump back into the, the leadership thing. And this is all definitely part of the employee value proposition. It's definitely part of people leaving or the great resignation or whatever. Hmm. It's all bundled in that same ecosystem, sure. this next question. The notoriously government, public sector, and you know what, I think across all industries, so I'm just, I'm not going to single out government here, mm. but across all industries, people have been promoted because of their technical capability yeah. as opposed to their ability to lead. And so we're setting them up for failure by putting them into these management roles. They move into these management roles, have no idea well, limited idea on how to manage people, therefore they create some, some you know, anxiety amongst the team, it creates some mm. resentment within the team, people leave, all that sort of stuff. You see that in all industries but particularly we see that in government quite, quite a fair bit as well. So 
Is there something that we're doing in that space from a government point we of view? We are. Um, yeah, and that's something that actually Nick's driven, in particular in the digital ICT area. Um, so at the moment what we're looking at is actually, um, and look, I think it's, without going into detail, it's hard to unravel all our industrial instruments and how jobs are classified. Yep. Um, that needs to be modernised, and but we are doing a little bit of work around how we might split technical expertise and pay for you know, that kind of technical expertise and not expect people to be leaders. But when you have a system of promotion or classification that basically says that no matter who you are, to get to to that level, you need to manage people, then inevitably what you're doing is actually people will look to those promotions to get that extra work because they probably deserve it. They're probably very skilled in their technical area. So for me, it's it's a technical solution and that is you have to have a separate stream where you're paying them for their technical expertise and not to lead and manage people. Um, And we're doing some work at the moment and we're specifically for IT and then maybe we look at other areas um, in the future. So I I, I agree with you in terms of what's happening, but the solution comes with how you might split out how you reward people for the skills that they have. Yeah, and look, and, and from a result of those technical managers will call them in those mm. positions the, the cases of bullying harassment everything else rise and um government are not uh, shielded by that and there mm. was a an article that came out mid last year that, talking about the, the cases of bullying harassment is there anything that you're are you guys working particularly well, on well that the stuff around well-being yeah um and articulating uh, what is bullying and harassment peer support offices is all that yeah great. um so yes that's the survey um, and one thing I can say is from the first survey to the second, it's dropped um, in terms of percentage of people that are experiencing it. People are speaking up and we're articulating more around those behaviours. So yeah. um, I think your work, the work has to continue where people feel safe to be able to call out that behaviour and those that are the perpetrators, basically that is not acceptable behaviour to be in the public service and we'll address it. So, yeah, we're working no, on it. No, and that's that's. That's great to hear. When you shine a light on it. Shining a light with all the data on it is very, very important. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. so we're talking a lot about that. You'll see that and it's all online. So we've actually been very public. We've actually published all the results. Brilliant. Yeah. What are you most excited about for for the public sector in the next – for 2022 and coming out of this? Um, What is – I'm excited about potentially – I think it's what we talked about. I'm excited about potentially – What's next? Mm. And I can't even articulate what that is. But in my work, you, you asked, you said, "Look, I like change." Geez, if I had a, a if I had a platform that was burning, yeah. um, I keep saying we need the burning platform. I remember sort of saying that as we tried to sort of change the way we did the burning platform. You know, I don't even know if we've got a platform. It is, it is just a blank canvas yeah. now. And for the me, platforms have been burnt. It's been burnt. <laughs> but for me, that's so exciting yeah. because. We can create a future that could be so successful mm. for 20 years down the track for South Australia. Yeah. Let's just not lose it. Let's not lose this opportunity. And I think we've forgotten what it was like because it's two years ago. Yeah. So, you know, when you create change and I want to go back to the to what was what I know? Yes. Well, I don't know what I know anymore. Yeah. And that world doesn't even No, exist. it's not even there. Yeah. So how exciting is that? that yeah. So that's all I'd say is no matter what comes, you will be recreating something because you've kind of forgotten 
you know, what those that hierarchical, patriarchal kind yeah. of system look like. I'm not saying it's all gone, but it's actually thrown the whole thing up in the air. So for someone who likes change, I'm going, yay, let, yeah. let's let's do it. What have you learnt the most in the past couple of years? I've learnt, I've learnt, I guess, that I've learnt a lot about myself, mm. actually. I've learnt a lot about how kind and well-spirited most people are. I have learnt about compassion more than anything and I've, I've actually gone back to who I was without having any position. I've gone back to kind of going, I kind of know who you are now. And I think maybe a lot of people have actually got that. You kind of forget sometimes because you, 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 you're on your sort of treadmill almost. Yeah. Yeah. I got off the treadmill. The, the, and so what's ex- Yeah, no, I've, I'm actually in the best place I've ever been and wouldn't want to be anywhere else, believe it or not, because I know who I am and I'm, I'm happiest now than I've ever been with all the other anxiety but I'm just grounded. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I think a lot of people would probably say that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So what does your future look like then? Uh, I don't know. Um, my future is to leave a legacy. Mm. So, you know, I'm not talking time frame. I want to leave, leave a legacy. Um, I want to be I want to be someone that people can actually say that I had made a difference to their little bit in life or to something bigger. Um, and I want to be the best um, I guess mother, wife, um, daughter. I just want to be the best sort of human mm. for however long I have. Um, I just want to make sure that whatever, wherever I step, and I do a lot of voluntary work for not-for-profits in the disability space, is I get so heartened at helping others that can't help themselves. So the future for me is to make sure that that best self continues to co- contribute and feed, I guess, my soul yeah. on, on that. Brilliant. Conscious of time, we will round up the podcast. We'll start to round up the podcast now. So we've got a. Um, we always like to finish off with just a little bit of lighthearted fun. This is just yep. to uh, get into the inner workings of your brain. Sometimes <laughs> some quick fire questions. All right. They don't necessarily need to be quick fire. Answer them how you will. All but right. um, we'll go through. We're big readers here. We're big learners. Big developers. We're always. Uh, interested in growing and learning. Sure. Um, tell us about a book that you're reading right now. <laughs> this is going to say a lot about me at the moment. <laughs> I'm reading, I've just finished reading Burnout, oh, uh, yes. Solve Your Stress Cycle by Emily and Amelia. Is it Nagoski? Yes. Yeah, I love the book. I've been recommended that numerous times. In fact, Michelle, I think, has told me to. Read it. Yeah, yeah, read I'm, it. I've actually, uh, there's a few people that have called me. I always want to read on how I'm feeling at the time, mm. and it's just grounded me. I mean, I'm, I feel fine, yeah. but there are some signs there about, you know, you talked about anxiety. So I yeah. think we should all read that book. Burnout's I think, great. I think I tried to read that late last year when I was burnt out, and I actually put it down because I went, mm, you, I'm, You're even more tired. Well, well I'm not, I wasn't in the mindset <laughs> yeah. to try to yeah. fix it. I was in the mindset to just rest. So I think now. Have I'm, a look at it now. Yeah. I think we were just. I think we're heightened. Yeah. I think now we're just too tired to be heightened. I think <laughs> now it, we're delirious. Now we're delirious. <laughs> but it does actually, it did actually remind me, it wasn't just the book, but it reminded me about the mindfulness. Yeah. Think about everything that you actually do. Particularly helpful for women, by Absolutely, the way. Because yeah. it does actually talk a lot about the, you know, a woman's journey yeah. in relation to um, I think 
uh, being the carer of everyone mm. um, and, and being careful not to burn out in relation to that. So I particularly recommend it for women that, that are, that are feeling the strain. Now that the home homeschooling might be back off. Oh. <laughs> oh, let's let's not get started on yeah. that. Uh, it, so we'll put that yeah. in the show notes. Um, what's one book that you feel that stands out from the crowd? Uh, there was two actually. Um, one that I yeah, that I had read early on in my career was Road Less Travelled by Scott Peck. Yes, um, that just somehow kind of resonated with me. And look, I, I, I would. It'd be remiss of me not to say Daring Greatly by Brené oh, Brown yeah. when, um, when you know, the challenges of leadership and sort of uh, where I was in terms of the cycle and the, the leaders around me. So Daring Greatly, those, those two stand out for me. I've got a story about The Road Less Travelled. I've you? only read the first sentence, oh. right, and I put it down and I got everything I needed from that book because the first sentence is life is hard. And the moment you realise that life is hard, the easier life becomes. Comes, yep. And I just went, yeah, that's okay, enough for Daniel, me. Daniel, you should yeah. read the rest of <laughs> I know, it. But it, I know, but I actually, I actually it, did put it away. It I, actually I, helped me a lot. <laughs> and, and you know what? As my children were young, it helped me to help them. Mm. Um, and then I went into the learned optimism and, and other things for them. Mm. So I think when you learn, when you read about yourself, you become a much better coach or mentor or parent or or friend to someone because you can actually offer that advice. So that's that's how I used yeah. it. But anyway, it was a great book. <clears throat> Is there any other podcast that you might listen to? Yeah, Super Soul with um, uh, oh, oh, Eckhart Tolle is oh, yeah. the speaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oprah. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, Oprah. Uh, she interviews so Eckhart, New Eck- Earth. You know yeah. all of Eckhart's work. Power um, of now. Yeah. yeah. Look. I had a moment of yeah. needing to kind of, yeah, so you can see where this is going with yeah. me. Uh, but Eckhart, maybe his voice is soothing, mm. but I have found it really quite insightful. In fact, I've just started listening to another podcast that, you know, they must have seen, you know, someone's looking at what I've yeah. and they said, ah, oh, you might e- want to. So yeah. Eckhart Tolle has been really good for me. Yeah. 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 Uh, his, his book, The Power of Now, changed my life I think it was yep. had a big impact I really like the see he talks about a new earth and stuff it, it is about that awakening like mm. he does you know I'm, I'm, I don't I'm not that spooky about it but the more you are conscious mm. of the things that are happening and when you know he talks about that sort of conscious self when you're behaving in a way that you know post-traumatic stress or yeah. or you're reacting because someone seems to have hurt your ego on something or you know you're not as powerful as you are is that consciousness of going, why are you reacting to this? Mm. You know, what can you do to change this? It's it's so empowering. Mm. Like it's like, oh, let that bit go. Yeah. We don't have time for that. Let's yeah. just see if we can resolve this. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that, that diagram. Is like I've got a problem. Is there anything I can do? No, then you yeah. don't have a problem. Is there anything I can do? Yes, yes. then okay, well then it, fix the problem. Exactly. Right? So, it's yeah. easier said than done but uh, uh, I'm yeah. saying go on a journey with it. <laughs> yeah, yep. What's one lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Um, that sometimes doing nothing is the thing <laughs> is okay. <laughs> mm. So if if oh, I get yeah. posed with a problem, mm. I always have to do something about it. Mm. And it's taken me the longest to learn that it's actually okay. You don't have to do anything about it, and quite frankly, you can just do nothing. Mm. That's it. And that's what yeah. I've got out of this burnout book. That's yeah. okay. And they actually recommend. That you should, you know, forty percent of your time is to do nothing, to recharge, yeah, not just sleep. 
So, yeah. That's do you ever t- feel guilty for not doing Always. That? I mean, yeah. the book talks about that. Yeah. And, of course, I do. I've, I've got the dishes to do, you know, when I, the kids were younger. You know, what would my mum think if I didn't clean the house? Oh, I've got this to do or that to do. Still, still programmed. But it's to sit down, don't do mm. anything. It It is so difficult for me. To, um, yeah. But that is, that's taken the longest. Mm. I'm doing a bit more of it. I'm still not great at it. Thank you, COVID, because I don't have all these things that I keep filling up my diary with because it's about making myself feel important mm. or, you know, that reconfirming that someone wants to get you to speak somewhere or whatever. Yeah. I remember during the year of winning the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year, I did 700 speeches. Yeah, I remember, well, I follow you on LinkedIn, obviously, and yep. I just remember seeing your name ping everywhere. I know. It has been less lately, but obviously you seem a lot more refreshed from it, which is great. I am. And I, I had a lot of, I did a lot of development um, over that time. And one of the key things that one of my very, one of my mentors actually said is you pick, you have to halve it or a third. Mm. And pick what's going to give you energy. Yeah. Um, and and they, it, was, it was very challenging because they said, "Why are you doing it? Is it is it to make yourself feel even better, or to get popularity, or get the you know?" Because I was you know caught up in that Twitter, like we had all of that, and you know it's, it's a bit like the social media. Yeah. Um, I I do the podcast. This has been great. Yeah. Um, I'd like to do a bit more. I think more on what um, what what people kind of want to hear about. But when you're on your own journey and you're dealing with something like COVID, um, and I did some wellbeing series for public servants, so basically playing to the mental health type issues. If I'm on a journey of learning myself, I'm not going to be able to kind of present. It'll be false. Mm. So I think the kind of pulling back a bit is actually I really need to, to kind of work out where I'm at to be your best self. So maybe I'll do a bit more this year. I think we all need to do a bit of yeah. that. Work on ourselves and yeah, but more we... more talking now. I think yeah. people want to hear it. Yeah. So I, I probably will go and sort of do the genuine kind of what what do people want to hear about and just reach out yeah. to people that might need some help. Yeah. Well, mm. there's going to be a lot of learnings coming out of this podcast. Yeah, there will. <laughs> uh, three people. If you could have three people over you know, for dinner, who would they be? Um, this is going to tie in with one of the other questions. Uh, look, I could have said, you know, Mother Teresa and a few other things, and I really admire great leaders. But look, I would have, I would love to have invited my grandfather, who died in the Black Friday fires in in the thirties mm-hmm. in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, it changed my father's life, and my grandmother lived with us, so I would have loved to have dinner with him and my aunt, who named me after a close friend who died of a heart condition at a very young age. She was in her twenties, um, who obviously saw something in me. So she was with me a lot um, when I was born before my mother came to Australia. So I'd love to have my grandfather and my aunt. That was his daughter. Mm -hmm. So they're two people I've never met in my life. Um, And the third person, which will tie in to one of the questions that you have here, is Alexander the Great. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm. And not the uh, Colin Farrell depiction, the actual. No, I don't don't think they did a good job of (laughs) that. No, they didn't. uh, And uh, it will tie into one of the other questions, one of the last questions you've got Well. Yes, yeah, so well, you, you obviously know the questions very well. So w- before we jump into the time machine one, what is some of the best advice that you've ever received? I don't have to fix everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tend to go, well, if you're coming to me, I need to fix it. 
Yeah, I think you and I share the same yep. approach. No, I don't need to fix things. Mm. And So I, what do you do in that situation now? I still try to fix things. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, is, it a, is it a matter of, do you think it's a control thing? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I'm, I kind of border on uh, being sort of a perfectionist to a point. Um, it's uh, it's more probably my personal life and my home. I, I really care about my immediate family, of mm. course, um, my husband, my children, and I want everything to be perfect. Mm. And if things go, don't go the way that they should, I try to kind of control that. And When you say should, do you mean the way you believe they should? Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh, look, I know all of that. Um, I do. I do. But it's it, it is a control thing. Yeah. And then a control thing means that um, you by fixing it or making it sort of fit within what you think it should be, it's less energy for you, which is not the case. So the bit that I've learnt is that you're not letting anything in for some fun and creativity and for spontaneous things to happen. So I'm getting much better at that. In a work situation, fixing a, a situation or giving someone the answer means that I'm only giving them one perspective of the answer. So yeah. I think it's be, been a personal growth thing and because I've got experience, it's easier to bring out that front brain stuff. So mm. it's actually about um, uh, right, what I do do is write down what I'm thinking oh, yeah. and, and try not to say anything. So I'm not good at it most oh, times. Good, yeah, yeah so good. I'm writing. I'm writing down... Um, I was going to say this, I was going to say that, I was going to say this, let it run for a bit. It's really hard because yeah. I want to interrupt and, yeah. and they let me because I'm in charge <laughs> so of now, my team. So, <laughs> so, But I'll write it down and then I look back at it and then I think, actually, that didn't, that wouldn't have made any difference if I said any of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Now your team are going to look at you scribbling your notes down and going, what's she actually <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Daniel. No, no. I, I think that's a really good trick. Is, uh, it is. Right, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm probably yep. going to adopt that, I think. Um, mm. Okay, so next question. If you had access to a time machine, where would you go? Uh, I would go back to Alexander the Great. Now, the reason why I say that is I was born in a village mm -hmm. in northern tip of Greece, but my parents are Macedonian. They speak Macedonian. Um, I know he was Macedonian and I want to know what, you know, so I, I know a little bit about the area but mm -hmm. not so much. Um, there's little on, in terms of my records of yeah. birth. I, I do know the year I was born, but yeah. I, I'm going to go with I was born 10 years um, after, after that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so I want to know whether there is, I would love to know the history of that era and to actually meet someone who, I'm not saying that I admired it or not, but, you know, potentially there could be some some kind of connection with where I was born and where he actually did his yeah. best work. Yeah. <laughs> so the, that's that's descendant of you. You think? Well, we don't know. No. I don't do the DNA no. ancestry, <laughs> but but he was identified as a Macedonian. Um, I was born in a village um, that is physically located in the northern tip of Greece, on the border of Where, yeah. Yugoslavia and Albania and Bulgaria and the rest of it. So um, yeah, I'd like to know it if I could. I'd love to go back to that era. Is there any? ancestry stuff that you can do um someone had i think there's been books written yeah. about it they do say maybe it's what we want to know but there have been some people through university that have actually done some research and apparently there you know there is some connection there yeah. no i haven't i, I just be interesting. yeah it'd be interesting actually 
given the personalities of some some of the kind of people I know, um, we might yeah, <laughs> be yes. related. Uh, but, I think that's just the most no, only thing. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I think so. Well, well, my brother taught you, so you, <laughs> yes. you actually have an element of it. But you know, we are. Well, I know, and I know, uh, obviously, David. David as well. Exactly, yeah. So we're very tall. We're kind of yeah. yeah, just just the ancestry. I think for me, yeah. it's it's just knowing. You know which empire did we actually come from? I mean, I have just as much interest in that uh, as anyone would yeah, about you know where where is that? Maybe that's one of my hobbies when I uh, finish work. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, do some research. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd love to learn my lineage as well. Yeah. If you had one superpower, if you could have one superpower, um, superhero power, what yep. would it be? You, know, I think there was a movie, um, and I think Mel uh, Gibson uh, played it. I would love to have people's thoughts articulated in words in my head. So right now oh, yeah. uh, I'd love for my head to be saying to me, Daniel just said this about you yeah, in your head. Yeah. Because I deal so much with people mm. and I look for the nonverbal cues, it would be very helpful with masks, by the yeah, way, because yeah, I can't, I, I can't, I've right. realised that I can't hear quite so well <laughs> anymore and I can't read their lips. Mm. So I would love to be able to have people's thoughts actually being relayed back into my head in words. Articulated in a way which, in which you can understand. Yeah. It would definitely make communication a lot clearer. It would make it clearer, <laughs> but then you're asking for a superhero that power. Is, that is, So absolutely. I would love for, for people to, yeah. to kind of go, oh, Daniel's going, what? Oh, I feel, yeah. I'm hungry now. Yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> I would, um, I reckon that would, uh, yeah, I reckon that would raise my level of anxiety. I've kind of struggled with my own thoughts, let alone having to worry yeah, about everyone else. Yeah, it'd be very busy in my head. <laughs> but uh, but in a way, you wouldn't be left wondering what no, people thought of you. That's right, exactly. Uh, now, last question is a bit of a fun one. Yeah. Um, what is your best mum joke? Uh, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know of mum jokes. All I know is my kids always react and always reacted. I say it is what it is all the time. And they can you stop saying that. We don't know what you mean. Yeah. It is what it is. It is, it is <laughs> so, what it is. And it's the way I kind of go about explaining and then, you know, my daughter in particular will go, well, what do you mean by that? You know, is what? You know, like so it seems to so it seems to be what, you know, oh, well, here Absolutely. we go. It is what it is. Well, it's, it's, I think it's on the, along the lines of um, – don't cry over spilt milk sort of thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It I know. It well, what, what it was we... my way and I think it's – when we talk about the perfectionism and the rest of it, it was my way of explaining like, when, when they were, why are we doing this all, you know, well, it is what it is. Like, you know, I can't, I can't answer what society is doing. This is how we're doing yeah. it. So I think it's for someone who's trying to be efficient, who didn't, was time poor and the rest of it, it was a really good way of me having a reputation for saying it is what it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. For, for Thank coming you. coming on the show. I mean, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure that everyone listening to the, this podcast would have uh, would have gained a lot of insights into the way your inner brain works and um, and obviously and thank you for, for all the amazing work you've done over the years. I know many, many people who, who have said that you've had a, a big impact on their lives. So I think, you know, when you say that's something that you want to do is leave some sort of legacy behind, I think you've already – started building a really strong foundation towards mm. that legacy and thank and you we're all very excited to see thank what the next couple of years or the next years ahead look like and, you, and so. i really really love it when people say that it's not um i've taken that as a very sincere way of kind of going i have made a difference even if it's to one person's Absolutely. life so i really appreciate being here thank you daniel thank you very much yeah. thanks, thanks guys we'll catch you next time 
Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.